which the Holy Spirit dwells within us by faith, where we trust Jesus Christ with our sin problem and we have peace with God. And then there is, um, there is the, the, the fleshly, there is the worldly way in which we live, in which we constantly put ourselves on the throne and make it about us. But if we're going to be honest, there can be a problem with being a worldly saint. And the problem that we recognize is this, is that it's not as simple as I give my life to Jesus Christ and then all of a sudden I am immediately a mature follower of Jesus Christ and sin is never an issue and temptation isn't a problem and I've got it all figured out. It just doesn't work like that. That truly one of the major problems with being a worldly saint, and I, and I say that kind of in, a, in an understanding way, in the world, not worldly as in fleshly, but I'm, I'm in the world, but I also truly am a saint. I've given my life to Jesus Christ, but I'm wrestling with the work that is happening in me. And these three things are just critical for us to remember. Number one, it takes time. It takes time to grow up. So I know there's famous statements, I don't want to grow up, I'm a what? Toys R Us kid. Um, it's just one of those difficult things. I really don't. I like being a kid. I so don't want. My generation, Gen X, for those of us that are Gen Xers, was one of those. We were known as, um, for all the stuff that millennials take, um, our generation were known as the slackers. <laughs> we were the first ones that decided it'd be kind of cool to go home and live in mommy's basement, Okay. Don't want to grow up. That's kind of our, what our generation was in some ways known for. And I don't want to grow up. Okay, but part of the issue with maturity is it just it has to take time. You can't, this doesn't work in a microwave. It's just going to take time. The second thing is it really does take guts. It takes courage to grow up. It takes courage to say, man, I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to actually do the hard things. And it's true, like in just normal life, yeah, I'm going to have to get a job. You know what, I'm going to stay in a relationship instead of just letting my heart lead me wherever my heart wants to go. No, I'm going to, I'm going to discipline myself so that when my heart starts leading me astray, I remember commitments that I've made and I stay focused on a commitment. That takes guts, doesn't it? It takes courage. The last thing it takes is profound humility. It takes humility to grow up. It takes humility to be a worldly saint. Hear me, meaning, I, yes, I am of the world, but now the Holy Spirit dwells in me, and so I'm going to recognize, yes, I'm broken, but the Holy Spirit is in me, and it really is time for me to grow up. And actually, all of this isn't just about my own discipline. It really is about me humbling myself, recognizing and responding to God's goodness through Jesus Christ. And admitting, I, I'm not going to make it about me. I'm going to make it about Jesus. I'm not going to just surrender my life to my wants and to my desires. I'm going to build my life around Jesus Christ. It takes time, it takes guts, and it definitely takes humility. But Paul knows this. Paul's not speaking to a bunch of people. He's just wanting to, like, I don't understand why you guys don't get it. I, I mean, sometimes pastors, and maybe I can be guilty of this, I really do apologize. Like, I hope every Sunday I'm not just just berating you, just telling you, come on, guys, try harder. Come on, guys, why can't you? There's a time in which we have to have some tough conversations about why aren't we growing up. And then there's some times to recognize because it's hard to do that. This is why I think it's good for us to sing. 
to sing songs that have significance. And so here's some lyrics that we just sang, and so I want to think about them in a growing up kind of way. Are you ready? We just sang this. You probably sang this. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So then the question becomes, is if we believe that, like we're not just singing it generically, like I believe that, like I'm, I'm singing honestly, not with hypocrisy, but honestly, sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. If that's true, then why did you go back to the paint shed and get some red paint and just start doing it again? Like, why did you go back? Why, why did I go back? If it's true that sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow, then why are we going back? And that's what Paul's asking these Corinthian Christians. If you really do believe that your sin had left like this mark on you, this deep, um, without the blood of Christ, like permanent mark on you, and then Jesus washed that, then why would you go back to that sin? Here's another thing that we sang that I thought was really, really kind of a pretty profound statement. And I began to kind of think through it as we sang it. That's why I kind of like scripture underneath it. We sang this. It is enough that Jesus died. It's enough that Jesus died. I've got no other argument. I've got no, no, no other plea. It is enough for me that Jesus died for me. I could, I, I, when, I, when I first sang that, I'll tell you, can I tell you what's going on in my mind? That's true. Like I've got, I've got nothing else. It is enough that Jesus died for me. And so it's not about my own moral perfection. It's enough that Jesus died for me. So I'm not going to go to heaven and go, Jesus died for me and look at me, I was also a pastor. No, it was enough that Jesus died for me. It's not about my own moral purity. It's not even about my own, like the way I'm cleaning up my life, right? It's not even my dedication to Jesus. No, it was enough that Jesus died for me. And I began to say it and say it and say it. And I started going, well, is it enough that Jesus died for me that in the end, like, I'm going to build my life around him and not around my career? Like, is it enough like that? Like, is it enough that Jesus died for me that it's not my success in ministry, my success in my pastorship or whatever they call it, right? Like, is it enough that Jesus died for me? Like, is it enough that Jesus died for me, or do I also need to have a family that is at, you know, I know we're going to have our problems, but is literally, we, we've got it together. Don't have to be the, the, the fanciest family or the most, but I mean, for the most part, we got it together. But as soon as my family starts falling apart, it, it's really not enough for me that Jesus died. It's Jesus and this family kind of holding it together. Is it enough that, see, if, if Jesus is enough, then explain to me your struggle with pornography. If Jesus is enough. Explain to me, like, your midlife crisis, if Jesus is enough for you. See, that, that took that whole song in a different direction. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at with these Corinthian these worldly saints, I, I get it. I know, I understand it takes time. I understand that it takes courage. I understand that it takes humility. But now it's time to grow up. And if it's true that you were a mess, you were, you were covered in crimson red, ugh, right? I mean, come on, we can all admit that, ugh, okay? Crimson red, he makes it white as snow, why go back? If we're covered in mud and he washes us clean, why go back to the mud pie? Why, why go back and sit in the puddle? Why are you doing that? If Jesus really is enough for you, 
then why are we like hooking ourselves to um, identities that are based on relationships other than his? Why why are we basing our like self-worth on our success in the workplace? Why are we needing all of these external things if Jesus truly is enough? Those are humbling thoughts, are they not? Those kind of cut through so many different things and they, they leave me standing somewhat, no, not somewhat, completely vulnerable. I start asking, so what are you building your life on? I mean, an awesome wife, some great kids, a great career. Um, I think I've done rather well. Uh, good education. I'm an educated person. I'm kind of intelligent. Okay, I've lost some weight. That's always a good thing, right? Oh yeah, and Jesus. Oh yeah, I almost, did I almost forget Jesus? Yes, I did. I almost forgot. Oh yeah, and Jesus. Someday, me or Paul or Ryan or Drew or somebody is going to actually do your funeral. They're going to say, "Tell me about your. Tell me. Tell me about your dad," and you're, they're going to list all your stuff. Tell me about your mom. And your family's going to be sitting down in front of your old college pastor, Scott Irwin, and they're going to be, you know what, my mom was a wonderful mother, and she was really good at what she did, and she was the most amazing lawyer in the world, and all of these different things. And then, anything else? Oh, yeah, and, and she, also, she also liked Jesus. And, and Paul's going, like, there's something, there's something broken with that. Now, hear me. It, it's not that all those other things are bad things. The problem becomes is when we build our lives around those other things that are at best temporary things, then all of a sudden um, we can, we, it makes sense that we would be anxious because my security is built on my health and Jesus. And then when my health gets shaken, then it feels like my world is collapsing. Or my, my career starts getting I mean, I get older, and all of a sudden, I can't do it anymore. And the church is going, hey, Jim, you're 98. You probably should find somebody else to preach. We love you, but literally, it's, I, I think it's time. No, it's not. I got three good sermons left in me, right? No, it's time. I can't do anything but this. Get it? Feel it? That, what's interesting is, like, that's what worldliness is. Like, that's worldliness. And so often it's like, no, actually, I've, I've, I've learned how to like clean myself up. I look, I'm respectable at church. Oh, sure. I'm sure all these people at the church, well, not all of them. They've got some messed up ones, which we'll get to chapter five. But for the most of them, they're, they're actually probably rather respectable people. But they're worldly. So Paul unpacks this and he begins, if you have your Bibles, we're in 1 Corinthians 3. We're doing the whole chapter, so let's go. And he basically makes this accusation, you are still of the flesh. You're still of the flesh. Now again, I don't think he is saying, he uses a different word here. He's not using the same word for the natural person that he uses in chapter 2. The natural person is the person who doesn't know Jesus. So that's the natural person. No, this is more of a a fleshly person. This is a person that's supposed to be in transition, which I'm kind of grateful for, that the Bible says, listen, like I get that you're in process. I get that you're going towards somewhere, but I I think I need to remind you because you've forgotten you're going somewhere and you decided to stay like stuck in your mess. 
You decided to stay stuck in this instead of saying, no, I'm, I'm going somewhere. I'm trying to become like Jesus Christ. So he says, listen, like although there are people that are in process, that doesn't give us permission to stay in our brokenness. And maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. Maybe the reason why God has you is because you need to hear that the fact that we are in process doesn't mean that we have permission to stay in our brokenness or to stay in our sin or to stay in our immaturity. Verse 1, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. What do I mean by that? That's kind of what that comma means. What do I mean by that? As infants in Christ. So notice they're still in Christ. Hear me, they're in Christ. This isn't the natural person that needs the gospel. Listen, this is the infant that needs the gospel. Isn't that neat how the gospel is the answer to both? The natural person that doesn't know, what does he need? The gospel? The infant? It's interesting, Paul doesn't mind the word child. He will use it like lovingly. Oh, my child in the faith. Oh, my child. That's the way we talk about it. Oh, don't you love kids? Don't you love kids? We use that terminology, and it's great terminology. This is Paul using a different word for infant, and this is the word that would be more synonymous with, don't be a baby. See the difference? The difference between, oh, my child. When Jesus says, you must become like a child. That's that's sweet. You're such a baby. See, that's not cool. Paul uses that word. He says, listen, like, I can't address you as spiritual people, meaning people that are growing up. I have to address you as fleshly people, people who have the Spirit but are not giving the Spirit its way in their lives. That in the end, there is an immaturity that is continuing on. He says in verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Like, I gave you the basics, and you weren't ready for anything more, and so I gave you the basics, and that's all I ever gave you. Why? Verse 3, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is, and this is how you know, there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving? Literally, that word behaving is the kind of the word for way or walk or life. Your life is showing that it's only human. You're only acting in a human way. For one says, here's another example, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? There's nothing wrong with being human. There really isn't. God made me human. There's nothing wrong with me being human. But when I, when I heard the gospel and I, and I heard about this new life that I could find, then I, I wasn't just only human. Like I was, I was human with the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in me. And so the problem with acting only human that Paul is saying here is that that's no longer true about you. It's no longer true that you're only human. I'm not only human. I am actually a human being made in the image of God. I have rebelled against him, but now I have attached my life to Jesus Christ by faith, and the Holy Spirit now dwells in me. And so now I am a human with the Spirit of God in me. Paul goes, why aren't you living like that? Like, why, why are you, like, divisive? Why are you, I am of Paul, and I am, why, why is there jealousy? Why is there discord? Why is all of this strife? And it's really interesting. It's, Paul is pointing out, and he's using some, some sarcasm here. I know you hate to hear it for those of you that hate sarcasm. He's using it here. He's trying to point out, like, you, you want to pretend like you're spiritual and you're growing. You want to pretend that somehow you're deep, but you're not. You're an absolute child. You're a baby. 
That's not the way it was intended to be. Not, not forever. It's totally cool to act like a baby. When? When you're a baby. And then it's time for you to grow up. And, and what it means, Paul is going to say here, what it means to grow up is that Jesus becomes, I don't think we could do it overnight, Jesus becomes what we know he should be, and that's at the center. That's what it means to grow up, to take Jesus Christ and to have him at the center and to hold him at the center and to build our lives around him, recognizing that my career actually is not the problem. That's not the problem. The problem is my need for my career to be my center. That's the problem. Andrea is not my problem. She really isn't. She's not my problem. It's my, I have to have my life, we, we have a whole story we could tell about this, couldn't we, babe? I mean, I, I literally almost, it was not good for a number of years because I had to have Andrea at the center of my life. Had to have her at the center of my life. And it just about suffocated her to the point where twice she said, yeah, we need some space. No, I love you. You don't understand, I love you. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay, I just love you and you can't leave me because if you leave me, not only all the plants are going to die, but I'm going to die. Okay, and by, by the way, I'm not, I'm not talking like this didn't happen after we were married. Okay, this was before we were married where she was going like, I don't know if I want this. No, it's love. No, it's actually more like an addiction. That's not love. So th this is what causes like strife and anger and jealousy and discord is when we take something else, good things, and we put them at the center. Man, Paul's teaching. That's what it's about. It's about Paul's teaching. You get it? And it's about Paul's teaching. And Paul's better than Peter. Why would you make it about Peter? It's about Paul. That's what they're doing. That's not us. You know what it's about? It's about worship style. That's what it's about. It's about how we worship. Man, I, I, I'm glad that Sunnybrook kind of get, gets it. That's what it's about, because, man, if you don't get this, you're never going to make a dent in our community. That, that, this is what it's about. Those other people, they don't get it. This is what it's about. You know what it's about? It's about getting the need for us to be part of, like, a social cause. You know what it's about? It's about women. God bless them, and we really need to make sure that they're front and center. That's what it's about. It's about women. No, you know what it's about? It's about racial equality. That's what it's about. You know what it's about? It's about a, a conservative agenda. That's what it's about. It's about a conservative agenda. That's exactly what it's about. Um, no, 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 no. On all of those. It's not about a male agenda or a female agenda. It's not about racial equality. No, no, by the way, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. All of those things have value. But if they're not, if they're not based on Jesus... Hear me, if he's not at the center, then all in, you're going to have at the end is more problems and more discord. Fascinating book, Now in the Future Liberal, The End of Identity Politics, by a liberal scholar named Mark Lila. He, he described what's actually happening to one of our political parties in America that is only known for its self-identifying subsets that really all they care about are their own agendas. And his critique about a political party that he deeply loves is, I don't know if we'll ever do well again until we all decide to rally around one cause. 
as long as we've got all these subsets, we'll never be able to rally around one cause. I read that book. I thought it was fascinating. And the whole time I'm reading it, I'm going, wow, that is the church. Like, we can get, we can get wrapped up in causes or worship styles. We can get wrapped up in all these other things and think they're the most important thing. Like, I, when I read this, I don't know of a problem. I mean, I know everybody loves to hear someone other than Jim preach. That was so refreshing, okay? I know, I know, I know. I'm actually, many in my own family say that to me, okay? I get it. But actually, I don't think it's like discord. I don't think it's like strife. So when I'm reading this text, I'm going, this really isn't us. We don't have a, I love Paul and I love Jim. We don't have that. Not that I know of anyway. So, so this isn't us. And God's like, yeah, take, a, take a closer look. Okay. Oh, wow, it is me. What happens when I make a cause? Other than Jesus, the cause. Well, if you and I aren't on the same page, then we're on different pages, and if it's not Jesus. But do you see the problem? Do you see the difficulty? What happens when we build our lives on something other than Jesus? This is one of our biggest concerns, actually, and we, we see this actually quite a bit um, to show how, how deep this can actually go, is that we actually have... Um, People, when they, they come to church, because why, why are we coming to church? We're coming to church because we have young kids. And our kids need a, a great place, because I went to church when I was a kid, and it was a great thing. And now that I'm older, I'm trying to be responsible, and so we'd love for our kids to learn about Jesus, to learn about God. It's a really cute thing, and we can come to some pageants and get some really great lessons. And then, and then we watch the kids grow up, and the parents get really involved in the children's ministry, kind of maybe really involved in the youth ministry. And then the kids walk across, it's amazing. The kids walk across the stage, and we, we always get concerned about this because all these high school students, and they walk across the stage at graduation, and then they go to college. You've heard us talk about this, right? And then they go to college, and so many of them, like, don't go to church. Now, not you, because you're here, right? But there are other students you know people who've done this, and the mass, it's a crazy the numbers, like 80% of, of high school students, they walk across the stage, and then by the time they get to the other stage, the other side of the stage, they quit going to church. You know what's fascinating? Here's a whole bunch of parents doing the same thing. A whole bunch of parents doing the same thing. Deeply involved in the children's ministry, deeply involved in the youth ministry, and then their kids walk across the stage, and the parents... Yeah, we get around to it. We've been really busy. We've been really busy. What happened? I don't know if they're bad people. I just I wonder sometimes if we just don't get like addicted. You might want to call it love, but I've been reminded sometimes it's just an addiction to a way of doing life that really isn't Jesus. It's like religion. And Paul is making it clear. Like anything other than Jesus is nothing. You build on anything other than Jesus, it's nothing. So he takes it right to the, right to the core here. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. He wants us to hear that. So it's not about, and, and this is why we've got to think bigger picture. It's not about Paul and it's not about Apollos. It's not about a, a youth program. It's not about all these other things. All of these things ultimately are nothing. Here's how you know. Look at verse five. So then what is Apollos? He is the one that did all of the teaching after Paul left. What is Paul? He is the one that actually shared the gospel with them in the first place. And he says, they're servants. 
through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but it is God, the, God is the one who made the growth. God is the one that, that did it. So what am I? I'm a servant. What is Apollos? It's a servant. What is our youth ministry? It's a, it's a servant. What is our worship ministry? It's a servant. What are our mission trips? They're servants. They serve to glorify God, and they're wonderful things. And what are they? What are they? They are what? They are servants. When you, make, when you make servants God, when you make tools the point, then when, when the point begins to move or when the point changes or when the point takes a different church, that's when there's discord. That's when there's strife. That's when there's arguments. So notice how he says, so look at verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Now there's a great lesson. So it doesn't say he's like, they're really, 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 really important, but they're not as important as God. That's what we want to say. Like, they're still really, 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 Jim's really important. He's just not as important as God. That's what we want to believe. My wife is really, 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 really important, just not as important as God. My career is really, 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 my health is really, but just not as important as God. No, what, what Paul is attacking here is building a life around anything, particularly it's the teachings of one teacher over another, which is more than just the individual. It's the doctrine, and it's like looking at it selfishly. All of these things, are, they're not anything. They're absolutely nothing. Look at this. But only God is something, is what he intends there. But only God is the one who gives the growth. So he who plants, or he who waters, they're one. Each one will receive their wages according to their labor. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Do you not get it? Do you not understand? To build, to build this church around anything other than Jesus Christ just delays the inevitable. That a day is going to come when God is going to deal with this. And, and, and this is a really good lesson for us to learn is that none of these things are anything. One of the, we get excited about this and then we feel painful about this. Because we, we have a lot of college students that come here and we love it when they say, oh man, Sunnybrook has really changed my understanding of church. I've never grown as much as I have in the last four years or for some of you, the last eight years of college. Like I absolutely loved it. And, and we think that's great. And I probably could have done it in less than eight years. But we, we think it's great that you've been a part of us. And we're glad that you don't want to go anywhere. Okay, I'm not saying you were eight years and you got two master's degrees. I'm talking eight years and you got one bachelor's. Okay, so I really, 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 really miss Sunnybrook. And I don't think I don't, and then, and then we get a, like a call of you later. Yeah, I can't find a church like Sunnybrook anymore. And well, where are you going? Well, I can't really find, no, no, where are you going? Nowhere. Oh man, that's not cool. We're not trying to impress you with Sunnybrook. Trying to win you to a way of preaching or a way of singing or a way of studying. We're not, I'm, not I'm not trying to win you to a way of studying the Bible. I want you to fall in love with the one who wrote it. Like the one who died for you. Not a way of doing church. But the one who established the church. Who founded the church. It's Jesus. That's what Paul's trying to get across. Guys, listen. It's about Jesus first and foremost. Like, I'm nothing, Paul is saying. I'm nothing. Like, it doesn't matter. And, and by the way, he's, he's not just making like some weird statement. 
you, you can turn with me or not. There's two, two great verses I just want you to see that are elsewhere in Paul's writings. First one is found in Philippians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is in the middle of saying, hey, listen, there's a group of people out there that are preaching the gospel for all of the wrong motives, and it's making my life miserable. Okay? It looks like there were a group of people in Philippi that were preaching the gospel in such a way that Paul was being physically assaulted because of their proclamation of the gospel. Most likely because as the gospel began to grow, the authorities began to get greater concern. And so as it began to grow, well, who do we have in prison? We got, we got Paul. Well, then why don't we beat him up again? You know what I mean? So as the church is growing, and, stir, and there are some people that are preaching the gospel. He's not saying they're preaching not the gospel. Paul says, no, those people, let them be condemned. No, these are guys with the wrong motives preaching the gospel, and Paul is the one who's taking the brunt of all of it. And you know what I would say if you were sticking it to me? I would so question your motives, I would so tweet that you were a bad person. I'm serious. I would go all Twitter on you. And I'd let everybody know that your motives were wrong and that, and that I, would tag, I would hashtag it suffering because you're hurting me, you know? And I have 280 characters to do that in, you know? I can do, I, I'm so frustrated. You know what Paul says? Listen to this. But I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, meaning me getting picked on because some guys with bad motives are picking on me, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Is that not awesome? Like I'm, I'm getting the raw end of the deal and I'm getting picked on and persecuted by people with the wrong motives, but Jesus is being proclaimed. Is that not cool? Man, that's, that sounds like somebody who's really grown up. That's somebody who like gets it, that it's not about them. So don't, when, when Paul says, like, we're nothing, he so means that. My favorite, one of my favorite verses of scripture, and I know I say that a lot, but this really is in the top 10. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. And I don't even know if I want you to underline it. Only underline it if you mean it, or underline it and put, how do I get there, and we'll talk later, right? Acts 20, 24, listen to what Paul says. He, this is at a, a point in time where he's talking to the Ephesian elders. He's about to say goodbye to them. He thinks he's going to go die, and they're going, you can't die. Like, you can't die, Paul. Like, if you die, we think we're going to die. Like, Paul, like, we need you. We need you. It's like when Matt Chandler got cancer. I'm like, God, you can't let him die. I need him. God said, no, you don't. You don't need Matt Chandler. The village doesn't need Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler actually has preached that sermon that you don't, the village doesn't need Matt Chandler. Here's what Paul says when these elders are going, you can't go because you could die. Here's what he says. But I do not account my life as any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. <laughs> See, he gets it. ministers are servants and servants are expendable. Like slaves are expendable. And that's what I am. I'm a slave to Jesus. They're expendable. Jesus is not expendable, but me, I'm just a servant. So I'm expendable. Question, is that how you view your life? Yeah, whatever. I mean, literally either way, as long as Jesus Christ is glorified. Wow. Like that, that sounds intense, and it is. 
And you want to know why it's intense? Because there's going to come a day. See, right now I can kind of play it off. I can go, hey, yeah, no, 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 Andrea is no longer the center of my life. You want to know why? Because we're married. And she's a good woman. Like, literally, she's going nowhere. Like, even when I mess it up, she goes nowhere. Because she's really committed. First to Jesus, and then to me. But she's really, really committed. And so I know what you're saying. Sure, it's easy for you to say, like, you got her. And I I could never lose her. And it is kind of easy, but there will come a day in which all these things will be tested. I think it's great that you're coming to church because your spouse is coming and you're just trying to be kind. Like, I, I really do. Like I, but I really hope that in the end you don't think like God's gonna go, yeah, like I'm glad you went to church. And so, well done, my good and faithful servant. <laughs> no, he's gonna go, wow, like you went to church for how long? And you never accept, you, did you ever hear the gospel? Oh, wow, every week you heard the gospel. And you still decided to just go so you could make peace in the home. Wow, okay, I don't know if that's right. So why are you going to, why are you going to church? Well, because mom and dad get off my back. Okay, like, mom and dad get off your back. Right? Why, why, you call, call, why, why are you going to church? So that I can just tell my mom and dad I went to church. I mean, I don't mind it. I can put up with it. There is going to come a day, he says, when fire will test what sort of, week each, what sort of work each one of us has done. Now, by the way, that is talking about like the testing of all of our ministries, but I think it extends further. In application, it's not just the kind of work that the church does, but it really kind of says everything that we build our lives on will be tested with fire. That's why the best places to really understand life are literally, I was going to say, just go walk a maternity ward, um, but they won't let you do that, which is good that they don't let you do that, right? You can't just walk. Can I see all the babies? I just, I'm trying to learn a life lesson. They won't let you do it. That's a good thing but kind of go in your mind and you see all the little ones and you realize like, wow, like 49 years ago, that was me. And I came into this world and I had nothing to do with it. And I came in with nothing. And when I die, I'll go out with nothing. Like everything in my life that I've built my life upon is going to be tested. Look at verse 10. According to the grace that God has given me, like a skilled master, I laid a foundation and someone else built upon it. So he's saying, it's not that, it's not that what I did was nothing, but I'm just a servant. So let each one take care of how you build upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. That's why whatever we build here, if it's not Jesus, what's going to happen to it? If anyone builds on a foundation with gold or silver or precious stones or wood or hay or straw... Notice all the things, precious stones, things that matter, wood, hay, straw, not so much. It's kind of like building on a rock or building on sand. Each one's work will become manifest, meaning it'll become revealed. We'll find out what this is. For the day, capital D, that's the day of judgment, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. That's probably more metaphoric. I don't think like God's going to burn up the world, and then like all of our good parts of our ministry somehow are going to... You understand what he's saying? He's talking about this fire, this judgment, this refinement. And then we're going to actually find out like whether or not like Jesus was at the center. Like... We will, I will find out how much of my preaching was just great communication and how much was Jesus. And, and by the way, it's not an either or. Hopefully I can communicate well. But if I communicate well and it's not Jesus, it's just straw. Just straw. It's just going to burn up. 
And so what does he say? Look at this. If that work that anyone has built upon, that foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, they will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. See the point there? The point is, is that in the end, I love this idea, there is a maturity that's taking place. There is a process that is actually happening. But you're going to have to go through the process. So it's not like my salvation hinges on whether or not I have this figured out. No, my salvation is based on Christ and his righteousness alone. But how we build a church, like how you build your family, and what you build them upon, It's really about being well-educated people and uh, being successful. Hey, hope that works for you. It looks really cool on this side, by the way. I mean, it does, honestly. If I had a hat, I'd take it off. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm truly impressed. I, I can be so impressed by successful people. And by the way, success itself is not, the, is not, it's not a bad thing. Like, if you build your success around Jesus Christ at the center... And you have that kind of humility, like, man, everything I have is Jesus's, everything that's good, this is all about him, and then that'll be tested, and it'll be gold. You try to add Jesus on the end to your really successful life, because you probably are rather intelligent and gifted, and you're a really hard worker, and that can cover a multitude of sins, and it'll just all get torched. And, and, and maybe you'll find out that in the end, like, you really did at some level trust in Jesus, Everything else was just a waste. It was just like a really cool car. I remember when I, I just thought to myself, if I get this car, my life will be so much better. I don't even know where my first car is. So notice what he says here. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved only as through fire. Do, not, do you not know that you are God's temple? That's a plural, not individual. That's why this verse is not about smoking. Okay, smoking is dumb and you are God's temple. Those don't fit the way your mom and dad usually want them to. Okay, smoking is just dumb. Okay, and maybe may sinful in terms of a waste of money. It may be sinful in terms of, you know, you're not taking care of your body. But the, your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit is actually about unity in the church. That's this text. And about sexual immorality. Okay, so find another verse for smoking. Okay, not, not, not this one. This is too important of a verse. Do you not know that you are God's temple, plural, and that God's spirit dwells in you, plural? And if anyone destroys God's temple by being divisive or manipulative or just not growing up, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So grow up. Recognize the gospel. See, one of the beautiful parts of the gospel, it is both... Milk and solid food at the same time. See, when you were lost, what did you need? You needed the gospel. Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins, and he made peace for God, with God for you. And then he's establishing a kingdom that you are a part of. Man, like anybody can get that. Like you can be new in your faith. Oh, yeah, I get it. Are you ready for some solid food? No, this is deep. Are you ready? Jesus died in your place for, I had to change my tone. Jesus died in your place for your sins. Is that not crazy? Is that not deep? And by the way, he is establishing a kingdom. And he's invited you to be a part of that. And we are going to change the world. That is, that is milk and that is solid food. See, the problem's not the message. 
The problem is this group of people that think, ah, we are so smart. No, we're, we're fools for God. Time to grow up. Lastly, he makes this point. Why does all of this matter? Why did we put Jesus at the center? Because you are Christ, and Christ is God's. That's kind of what Mark was saying in his prayer this morning. Father, may they be one. May they be in me like I am in you so that the world will know. Like we are in Christ and Christ is in God's. Therefore, we got to grow up. We got to quit getting the red paint out again. We got to quit going back to the mud pies. We got to quit being divisive and argumentative. We got to quit building our lives on things other than Jesus. Verse 18, so let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks they're wise in this age, and let him become a fool so that they could really become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or present or the future or youth ministry or your parents or your kids or your health or your job. All of these things are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. If you build it right, if you build it right, around him, and when it's all said and done, you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know where we get this wrong? We, we get this wrong because we're, we're never really just watching ourselves, we're watching everybody else too. And we just want to make sure, how many, are, you, are you like those people that just always want to make sure everything's fair? I just don't think that's fair. I don't think I'm getting treated fairly. I think, I think, I think I'm getting the raw end of the deal here. See, that, that's, that's kind of what, what stirs this up. I, why, why do we get treated like this? Why can't we get, how do we make all this fair? So honestly, the greatest problem is the cause of Jim. That's, that's my greatest cause, by the way, me. You realize how broken that is? That's the, the, sort, that's the root of all, that's the, suit of the biggest root of, of immaturity is just, it's about me. My, my dad loved to do this. I know it's called bad parenting today, but my dad loved, there were six of us, and my dad loved like spoiling one of us in the presence of the others to kind of stir something up inside of us. So my dad would be like really nice to one of my sisters, and I'd be like, what are you doing? And my dad would be like, I'm being really nice to your sister. Do you like that? No, I hate that. <laughs> what do you hate about that? I hate that it's not me. Really, like you don't like the fact that I'm giving your sister something really, really nice. No, I hate it. Well, how about if I gave you something really nice and not your sister? Now that's better. My dad would say, can you tell like something's broken in you? No. <laughs> that sounds totally normal for me. Right? Like how, how many of you as parents have just decided, how do I make this always even for all of the kids? And that way I'll never find out if my kids are selfish little punks. By the way, before you just throw my dad under the bus, he got this idea from Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is talking to Peter at the end of his life. Or, sorry, the end, near the, okay. Jesus is talking to Peter after he had died and been raised again, he's going back to heaven. That's what I meant to say, okay? And he's telling Peter, hey, it's, it's not gonna go well for you at the end. Like, I, I know that you like to say you're nothing, but you probably think you're a lot more. And so I'm telling you, like, when you were young, you could do whatever you wanted to do. But when you're old, you're going to be led and basically saying, like, you're going to die a miserable death for my sake. And here's Peter's response. He looks over at John. What about him? 
What about him? Listen to this. This is John chapter 21, verses 21 and 22. He says, Peter says, what about this man? Like, that's the root of it, by the way. That is the root of, I'm about Paul, and I'm about Cephas, and I'm about, it's, it's kind of our identity, and our purpose, and our cause. What about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Thank you, Frank Johnson, right? What if I want to do something different with him? What if in the end I do want Apollos to become more popular? What if in the end Sunnybrook's not going to be the coolest church? What if in the end it's not going to be your worship style? What if in the end it's not going to be exactly the way that you want it? You okay with that? Or are you going to quit? Are you, are, you a, are you a child growing up or are you a baby? Jesus ends when he says to him, you Follow me. He's saying that to you. You follow me. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus and for the truth of who he is, the power of who he is, for the power of the gospel. Thank you for the fact that our unity is not based upon Jim or Paul or Ryan or Scott or Drew or whoever else, all the people, Justin and Morgan, blah, blah, blah. All of those people, God, it's you. And it's not based upon our ministries, whether they're amazing or whether they're struggling, it's based on you. It's not based upon our careers or our our spouses or our children, it's based on you. God, we need to hear that. We need to know that because everything else is temporary. But you are eternal. To grow up is to understand that and to then respond to that. Thank you for your patience while we are children. Never let us be babies. For your glory, others benefit in our joy. All God's people said, love to continue this faith conversation. You know which way to go, this way, not that way. Love you guys, and we will see you Wednesday night.